Today is the 19th day of December. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I am Brian, and it is fantastic to be here with you today as we move. I guess this really is Christmas week, even though Christmas begins a new week. This this is Christmas week, so it's great to be here with you as we enjoy the Christmas spirit Enjoy all or any of the festivities and focus our hearts on the overwhelming love of God to come for us as we prepare to celebrate the arrival of the Christ child, the Savior of the world. It's also great to be together during, I mean, we're all over the world, but at least we, every day, we're going through this together and enjoying this season together. We're also here to take the next step forward together. And that leads us to another one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, the ninth of the 12 minor prophets. And we will read it in its entirety today, the book of Zephaniah. And as with a good many other authors, In the scriptures, we don't know a whole lot about who Zephaniah was. Actually, Zephaniah itself begins by giving us all the information that we're going to get. And that is that Zephaniah received a message from the Lord when Josiah, son of Ammon, was king of Judah. And we're also told Zephaniah was the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. And biblical scholars find that genealogy to be interesting because he traces his genealogy four generations back as opposed to just naming his father. And that may be because Zephaniah was a descendant of the good king Hezekiah, which would explain the material in Zephaniah, his awareness of what was going on around him And if his lineage does go to King Hezekiah, then that would have given him credibility and got his prophetic utterances paid attention to. Zephaniah, the word or the name, means God has hidden. And as we just pointed out, we're told that the message came during the reign of Josiah, which would place him in the early, maybe mid-600s B.C., and that would make him a contemporary with other prophets like Jeremiah. And many scholars believe that Zephaniah was at least familiar with other writings of other prophets like Isaiah because there's a similarity in the language. And another thing we may notice is that Zephaniah is not targeting his prophecies to anything or anyone particularly. It's the whole world which includes Judah. And it's a warning that God's judgment is imminent and that the day of the Lord is coming and that it's time to repent before it is too late. God will judge evil. And I think we need to remember God is eradicating evil, not people. But if people are unwilling to participate in ridding themselves of evil, then they'll be swept away in the judgment of evil. 
whether they live in the kingdom of Judah or no matter where they live. And Zephaniah tells us, those who are left will be the lowly and humble, for it is they who trust in the name of the Lord. And so with that, let's read the three chapters of the book of Zephaniah. The Lord's word that came to Zephaniah, Cushi's son, Gedaliah's grandson, Amariah's great-grandson, and Hezekiah's great-great-grandson in the days of Judah's king Josiah, Ammon's son. I will wipe out everything from the earth, says the Lord. I will destroy humanity and the beasts. I will destroy the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. I will make the wicked into a heap of ruins. I will eliminate humanity from the earth, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will eliminate what's left of Baal from this place and the names of the priests of foreign gods those bowing down to the forces of heaven on the rooftops, those swearing by the Lord along with those swearing by Milcom, those turning away from the Lord, those who don't seek the Lord and don't pursue Him. Hush before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has established a sacrifice He has made holy those he has summoned. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes, the king's sons, and all those wearing foreign clothes. I will punish the one leaping on the threshold on that day, those filling the house of their master with violence and deceit. On that day, says the Lord, an outcry will resound from the fish gate wailing from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. The ones who grind the grain will wail. All the merchants will be silenced. I will eliminate all those weighing out silver. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. I will punish the men growing fat on the sediment in their wine. Those saying to themselves, The Lord won't do good or evil. Their wealth will be looted and their houses destroyed. They will rebuild houses but not live in them. They will plant vineyards but not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and coming very quickly. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. A warrior screams there. That day is a day of fury, a day of distress and anxiety, a day of desolation and devastation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and deep darkness, a day for blowing the trumpet and alarm against their invincible cities and against their high towers. I will make humanity suffer. They will walk like the blind because they sinned against the Lord. 
Their blood will be poured out like dust and their intestines like manure. Moreover, their silver and their gold won't be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's fury. His jealousy will devour the entire land with fire. He will make an end, a truly horrible one, for all the inhabitants of the land. Gather together and assemble yourselves, shameless nation, before the decision is made. The day vanishes like chaff before the burning anger of the Lord comes against you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes against you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who practices justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Maybe you will be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. Gaza will certainly be abandoned and Ashkelon destroyed. Ashdod will be driven out at noon. Ekron will be uprooted. Doom, inhabitants of the seacoast, nation of Cretans, the Lord's word is against you, Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will exterminate you, leaving no inhabitant. The seacoast will become pasture land with wells for shepherds and pens for the flocks. The coast will belong to the survivors from the house of Judah. They will pasture beside the sea. In the houses of Ashkelon, they will lie down in the evening. The Lord their God will visit them and restore their possessions. I have heard the taunting of Moab and the defamation of the Ammonites. They taunted my people and enlarged their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, Moab will become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah. A plot of weeds, salt pits, and devastation forever. The few remaining from my people will plunder them. The rest of my nation will possess them. This will happen on account of their pride because they taunted and boasted over the people of the Lord of heavenly forces. The Lord will terrify them. He will make all the gods of the earth disappear. All the coastlands of the nations will bow down to the Lord, each one in its own place. Moreover, you too, Cushites, will be pierced by my sword. He will stretch out his hand against the north and will cause Assyria to perish. Let him make Nineveh a desolation, a desolate place like the wilderness. Flocks will lie down in its midst, every living thing of the nation. Moreover, the owl and the porcupine will spend the night on its columns. A bird's call will resound from the window. Desolation will be on the sill, for the cedar will be stripped bare. This is the jubilant city, the one dwelling securely, the one saying in her heart, I and no one else will endure forever. How she has become a desolation, a resting place for the wild animals, all those who pass through her hiss and shake their fist. 
doom. Obstinate one. The defiled one. The violent city. She listened to no one. She accepted no discipline. She didn't trust in the Lord, nor did she draw near to her God. The princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves of the evening. They leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are reckless, men of treachery. Her priests pollute that which is holy. They do violence to the instruction. The Lord is righteous in her midst. He does nothing unjust. Morning by morning he renders justice, but the unrighteous one knows no shame. I will cut off nations. Their towers will be destroyed. I will devastate their streets. No one will pass through. Their cities will be laid waste. There will be no person, no inhabitant left. I said, surely she will fear me. She will take instruction so that her habitation won't be cut off because of everything I did to her. However, they rose early to corrupt their deeds. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord. Wait for the day when I rise up as a witness, when I decide to gather nations, to collect kingdoms, to pour out my indignation upon them, all the heat of my anger. In the fire of my jealousy, all the earth will be devoured. And I will change the speech of the peoples into pure speech. And all of them will call on the name of the Lord and will serve him as one. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my daughter, my dispersed ones, will bring me offerings. On that day you won't be ashamed of all your deeds with which you sinned against me. Then I will remove from your midst those boasting with pride. No longer will you be haughty on my holy mountain, but I will cause a humble and powerless people to remain in your midst. They will seek refuge in the name of the Lord. The few remaining from Israel won't commit injustice. They won't tell lies. A deceitful tongue won't be found on their lips. They will graze and lie down. No one will make them afraid. Rejoice, daughter Zion. Shout, Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your judgment. He has turned away your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is in your midst. You will no longer fear evil. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, Don't fear, Zion. Don't let your hands fall. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior bringing victory. He will create calm with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you those worried about the appointed feasts, 
They have been a burden for her, a reproach. Watch what I am about to do to all your oppressors at that time. I will deliver the lame. I will gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and fame throughout the earth. At that time, I will bring all of you back. At the time when I gather you, I will give you fame and praise among all the neighboring peoples when I restore your possessions and you can see them, says the Lord. Revelation 10 Then I saw another powerful angel coming down from heaven. He was robed with a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun and his feet were like fiery pillars. He held an open scroll in his hand. He put his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. He called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders raised their voices. When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and don't write it down. Then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. He swore by the one who lives forever and always, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, and said, The time is up. In the days when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious purpose will be accomplished, fulfilling the good news he gave to his servants, the prophets. And the voice I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the scroll. He said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make you sick to your stomach, but sweet as honey in your mouth. So I took the scroll from the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I swallowed it, it made my stomach churn. I was told, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Psalm 138 of David I give thanks to you with all my heart, Lord. I sing your praises before all other gods. I bow toward your holy temple and thank your name for your loyal love and faithfulness because you have made your name and word greater than everything else. On the day I cried out, you answered me. You encouraged me with inner strength. Let all the earth's rulers give thanks to you, Lord, when they hear what you say. 
Let them sing about the Lord's ways because the Lord's glory is so great. Even though the Lord is high, he can still see the lowly. But God keeps his distance from the arrogant. Whenever I am in deep trouble, you make me live again. You send your power against my enemy's wrath. You save me with your strong hand. The Lord will do all this for my sake. Your faithful love lasts forever, Lord. Don't let go of what your hands have made. Proverbs 30, 11 through 14. There are those who curse their father and don't bless their mother. There are those who think they are clean, but haven't washed off their own excrement. There are those, how arrogant are their eyes, how their eyebrows are raised. There are those whose teeth are swords. Their jaw is a butcher's knife, ready to devour the needy from the earth and the poor from humanity. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for another day around the global campfire and to be able to take another step forward together in a busy season, in a celebration week where we are overwhelmed with your love for us and your arrival to save us. But even as we are moving through these celebrations, we are also moving step by step, day by day through the scriptures. And as we move through these prophets in the Old Testament, quickly we see the ark. We see that you send someone to say that you are about to step in, that things have gotten too far off track with a warning, a warning to turn and repent, which brings the hearer to a crossroads. And we think back to when we began our journey and we were talking about the book of Proverbs and wisdom and that she is at every crossroads. And so we see these crossroads over and over and over in the scriptures that there is a way to go and that there is a way that leads to destruction. And the pathways that we choose are indicated by what, where our loyalties lie what we are loyal to, what we are trusting in. And we hear over and over the echoes of your voice saying, trust in me, trust in me. I know the way to go. I will show you the right way. And so often we do anything but that. And yet over and over, repeatedly, we are being reminded as we move through this territory and the scriptures of this ark, may we... Be aware of what we are doing and where we are going. May our loyalty and trust be in you and to you and you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. DailyAudioBible.com is home base it's the website it's where you find out what's going on around here 
and it's Christmas week. And so that's where we are. Each of us navigating it uh, however we do. All the last minute stuff. All kind of, just, it's a busy week for everybody. A busy week of um, unbelievable celebration and festivity. It's a week of of great um, sadness for many people as well. It's usually a busy week no matter what. This is the week, though, that we're longing. This is... We're about to bring Advent to a close, this season of hoping, of longing for the arrival of Jesus. And then we have the benefit of being able to celebrate and have that exhale of relief. The Savior has come. Emmanuel, God is with us. And so no matter what's going on and all the little festivities and little last minute things that we got to do and the little chaoses and stresses that can come this week, let's not lose sight of the story, the story that even makes this week important. And these days that are coming up that we celebrate, that they even have importance is because of the story of God with us. And so let's hold on to that as we continue through this week. If you want to partner with the Daily Audio Bible, if the mission to bring the spoken word of God read fresh every day and offered freely to anyone who will listen anywhere on this planet, any time of day or night, and to build community around that rhythm of showing up every day and taking the next step forward together. If that has been life-giving to you, then thank you humbly for your partnership as we approach the end of the year. There is a link on the homepage at dailyaudiobible.com. If you're using the app, you can press the Give button in the upper right-hand corner. Or the mailing address, it's P.O. Box 1996, Spring Hill, Tennessee, 37174. And as always, if you have a prayer request or encouragement, you can hit the hotline button in the app. That's the little red button up at the top. Or you can dial 877-942-4253. And that's it for today. I'm Brian. I love you. And I'll be waiting for you here tomorrow. A beloved Christian praying for Zach in Phoenix. Almighty God, carry Zach by the strength of your love. Wonderful counselor, infuse Zach with your wisdom. Everlasting Father, open Zach to be aware of your constant abiding presence. Prince of Peace, may your peace that surpasses all understanding guard Zach and rule in his heart. Restore to Zach the joy of your salvation, that your joy may be in him, that his joy may be complete, and that your joy may be Zach's strength. Draw Zach ever nearer to yourself. Be Zach's solid foundation that cannot be shaken, no matter how much everything around him feels like it's crumbling. 
give Zach grace to cling to you even when doubt and darkness seem to be pervading his heart and mind. You alone, Lord, can guard Zach's soul against attack from the enemy's weapons. So we place Zach in your hand, trusting you to intercede on his behalf and to act according to your glory. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, we pray this not only for Zach, but for all around the global campfire. Hello, DAB. This is Russ from Santa Maria, California. I just had quadruple bypass surgery on Friday. I'm home now from the hospital and recovering well. But I just ask you to pray for pain management and to be able to sleep well at night because I need the healing to go uh, well and sleep is a big part of it. So thank you. This is God's little mud puddle from Maryland calling about the father who had to put his son in the state institution. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you know the pain that the father is feeling. Lord, I just ask that you would guide him in wisdom, that you would fill him with your love and your mercy. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confidence, hope, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would trust in the sovereign hand of God is working in not only your life, but your son's life, that you, Lord, would bring alongside his son a helper that understands and can work with his son and to communicate clearly. Lord, I just thank you that you continue to work in their lives to bring them into a deeper, more intimate walk with you. And Je- Hi, Daily Audio Bible. This is Jessica from California. Uh, I'm just calling in. I just got back from the hospital. I'm on my way home from the hospital with my friend Josh. He's only 39 years old and he's he's having a hard time. He's already had to get brought revived two times. He's a, a type one diabetic, and he's got—he's not able to walk anymore, so he's got pressure sores, and he's had a blood infection, and all everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And I'm just praying for a miracle. I believe that God can do a miracle for him, and I just need your guys' help. Please, please pray for him. Please pray for Josh. He's here. We're here in Fresno, California at Kaiser Hospital. And I just please pray for the hospital to get the doctors that the right help. Please just need a miracle. I don't know what else to do. I'm just believing God for a miracle, but... If I ever had to walk by faith and not by sight, it is right now. Because it doesn't look good at all. So please, family, just help pray for him. He he doesn't want to die. He's only 39. He said he doesn't want to die. So 
anyway. Thank you, family. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, my name is Winnie. Um, I just want to call and say, um, you know, praise God for this podcast. I pray with, along with and for people that are on the community prayer and, and the podcast itself. I do want to offer up a prayer. Um, I offer offer up a prayer um, request for my nephew. Um, I'm going to call the family A through D. God knows who they are, but he lost his wife last week, and um, they have three children: uh, 17, 12, and 11 month old. And he really, the family really needs prayer. She's being buried tomorrow, uh, which would be the 17th. Yes, the 17th. So. Uh, they just need prayer for salvation. He needs wisdom and guidance and grace and strength, and he just needs God. He really does. The family is just grieving, and they really could use some prayer. So I appreciate it, and um, God bless and keep everyone uh, this upcoming new year. Thank you. Okay, so in the book of Revelation, we've been uh, moving through trumpet blasts. And there are supposed to be seven trumpet blasts, and we've gotten through six of them. And we're expecting the seventh one, but in today's reading, we kind of encounter another aside. Similar thing happened when we were going through the scrolls just before this. Six scrolls were open, and then there was kind of like an aside before the seventh seal. So what we encounter in chapter 10 of the book of Revelation is is a powerful angel coming down from heaven. And several things have been noted about this. First of all, it seems like a change of location for John, because previous to this, he had been kind of caught up into the presence of the Lord in heaven. But now he appears to be back on earth because he sees this angel coming down from heaven. And this isn't an angel being cast, like this isn't a star falling from the sky kind of um, imagery. And it's been observed that this angel is unlike any other angel, at least in description. He was dressed in a cloud, and there was a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet were like columns of fire. And he must have been awesome in appearance to be able to stand on the sea and stand on the land at the, at the same time. And he shouted with a voice like a lion. And as with every, just about every other word in this book, you know, it's been examined from every conceivable angle, and there are various interpretations. Obviously, from a literal perspective, this is an angel. And then we described what this angel looked like. But a good many interpreters would say this imagery of a being with a face like the sun uh, coming in the clouds with the voice, the roar of a lion. This is, this is more than an angel. This is a divine being. And some would say, for sure, this is, this is Jesus. While others would say, this is the angel of God, or God himself. So, you know, the cloud, coming in the cloud, voice of a lion, rainbow, face like the sun, standing on the land and the sea, this is a picture of ultimate sovereignty, complete control, which is fascinating to think about because it's coming between trumpet blasts. It's coming between the sixth and the seventh trumpet blast that this happens where Jesus or, or a spectacular divine representative comes down in the midst of this, showing complete dominance and control and authority and sovereignty 
And, and when he speaks, the thunders respond. So it seems like kind of a big deal. And the seven thunders speak, and John was going to write down what they had to say, but then he was told not to, to, to seal it up and not write it down, which has caused many, uh, obviously, to wonder, okay, what was, what was, what was said? What, what was it that wasn't written down? But, I, I mean, it wasn't written down. <laughs> Uh, John was told not to write it down, so I guess, I guess at the end of the day, it wasn't written down, so we don't know for sure. And this has puzzled many a scholar. Some say that God was uh, making a point, that he was withholding, that he was demonstrating that he was sovereign and in complete control by not revealing all the future judgments. And, and so everyone not knowing all of the judgments force those who believe to be more dependent, press in deeper. Others have drawn parallels with the Apostle Paul who claimed to be caught up into the third heaven and, 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 was, and heard things that he couldn't retell, that he couldn't write down. Others have speculated that, that God had disclosed many things about the, the transformation of the apocalypse and the judgments and what would come from them, but he... He's unwilling to totally reveal his complete plans. They will be hidden from humanity until they happen, until the end of history. Others argue convincingly that this is a pause, that God isn't going to do whatever that will, whatever those things being spoken were, that he's relenting, that he's pulling back, which is true in many prophetic instances in the Bible. But the fact still remains that whatever was spoken that John was going to write down, he was told not to write down, so he didn't write it down, so we don't know what it was. Immediately after this exchange, the angel who's standing on the, uh, the sea and on the land raises his hand and swears an oath to heaven by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and everything in it, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. So the oath is being sworn in the name of the almighty sovereign God. And the, and the oath is, there will be no more delay. In the days when the seventh angel is ready to blow his trumpet, the mystery of God will be completed as he had made this good news known to his servants, the prophets. So, so whenever this seventh trumpet does blow, the mystery of God will be completed, as God had spoken through the prophets. So in other words, the long overarching plan of God's redemption is completed, as had been foretold by the prophets. And there's been plenty of conjecture on exactly what this mystery of God is, but most will land somewhere around the fact that this is God's, this, this is God's plan all along. This is his plan of redemption all along. Basically, Jesus' arrival signifies the beginning of the end, and the end is the beginning of the new world. So God's plan of redemption had been foretold all along through the scriptures, but the mystery of God's plan began when Jesus was revealed in his, in his first coming. And this idea comes from, uh, from Paul's letter to the Romans, 
from the 16th chapter of Romans, where it says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to the nations." So that's pretty compelling evidence that the mystery of God spoken of here in the Revelation, in the book of Revelation, is exactly that. So the idea here is that the mystery of God is the way that he brought about redemption. He came in the flesh, and by human standards, by cultural standards, he was utterly defeated. So he came into the world, and he was light in the world, but the world didn't see the light and instead try to stamp the light out. And so Jesus was crucified and died in what looked like absolute, complete defeat. But the mystery is that this was God's plan. And Jesus was resurrected as the firstborn of essentially a new species, the family of God. And essentially that was the beginning of the end. And so as we read through the book of Revelation, then, the troubling things that are happening on earth are part of that plan. The hardships catalyze who is with God and who is, the, uh, who is against God, who is God's enemy. And as the enemies of God persecute the people of God, it could look like utter and complete defeat. It could look like the faith is being stamped out, like the light is being extinguished. God's enemies triumphing over God's people. But following along with the mystery of God's plan, as played out in the life of Jesus, you find your life by losing it. And so what looks like utter defeat and humiliation is actually complete and total victory. The next thing John is told to do is go and and take this small scroll from the angel and eat it. And it will be sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his stomach. And that's exactly what happened. John eats the little book or scroll, and it's sweet in his mouth and bitter in his stomach. And we end today's reading with John being instructed after he has eaten this, that he must continue to speak what God has revealed. So a, a literal reading here, I guess, is theoretically possible. He could have somehow eaten a parchment that somehow tasted sweet to him but soured his stomach, but most think this is symbolic. Some would say that this is a commissioning or a recommissioning of John himself as a prophet, like he's taking these words and putting, putting them inside himself, and this is a symbol that he is being set aside or reset aside as a prophetic voice. And the reason for this is because the prophet Ezekiel was told to do something very similar. And that's pretty compelling. But what's also interesting is that John eats the words and they're sweet. And then they become bitter in his stomach. So we have a bitter, sweet thing going on here. So on the one hand, John is experiencing sustenance and sweetness in the words of God. But what he has to prophesy is also difficult. So it's bittersweet. An another way of looking at this would be that the word of God, as it's ingested, is a sweet, sustaining thing. But when it goes inside of us, it, it 
disrupts. It brings up all kinds of things that have to be dealt with. And that could be what this imagery is representing. Others have looked at this imagery and concluded that the sweetness is a reference to the overall plan, God's redemptive grace, long-suffering, and kindness in his plan of salvation. But the reality that exists throughout the entire New Testament is that perseverance, endurance in the face of suffering is, is, is part of the story. Grace is experienced in, in, in hardship. So no matter how we look at this, we can say that the bitter and the sweet are intermingled and that John is instructed, in spite of the bitter and the sweet, to continue to speak what God has revealed. And that's where we end up in our reading from the book of Revelation today. So Father, as we contemplate these things that we have uh, read from your word, not just from the book of Revelation, but also from the book of Zephaniah and the Psalms and the Proverbs, we invite your Holy Spirit to continue to churn and grow our faith. We see clearly in the scriptures our utter dependence on you for life itself. And we see the ways in which we turn to other things to sustain us. But we also see clearly that in the end, there is nothing but you. There is no other place to put our hope. And so we take this moment to turn our hearts toward our utter dependence on you and you alone. Come Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.